This is Everything with Allie Levine, hosted by Hollywood mom, celebrity stylist, influencer, and Bravo reality star, Allie Levine. On this podcast, you'll get a mix of, well, literally everything, from motherhood to fashion, lifestyle to spiritual well-being, all real and raw. Allie interviews celebrities, experts, influencers, entrepreneurs, and so much more. Tune in weekly to be inspired, empowered, and entertained. Hi, loves. I'm your host, Allie Levine, and I have the incredible Lacey Nicole on my show today. Let me tell you a little bit about Lacey. Lacey is a lifestyle and wellness influencer and philanthropist. After surviving a brutal kidnapping, being diagnosed with several autoimmune diseases and infertility due to endometriosis, she decided to shift her perspective from an internal struggle into how to help others who are combating shame. She uses an all-in approach to battling shame, disease, infertility, and the side effects that accompany these issues mentally. Lacey currently speaks on victim advocates panels on how to recapture yourself after trauma, and most recently has launched a podcast, Shame to Sparkle. Lacey, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be speaking with you. Yes, I'm so happy to have you. A little backstory for my listeners. Lacey and I connected on social media. I loved truly what she was sharing of her own journey and her own healing. We shared a lot of the same views as far as being um, advocates for child trafficking and human trafficking and just really loved her heart and how she really was promoting across the board not to be shameful, to really lean into who you are and to be able to you know, overcome and not only overcome, but really thrive and, and shame to sparkle, like she says with her new podcast. So I was dying to have her on my show to really talk about, you know, where it began for her that she was able to start this journey and get from that shame to sparkle. So Lacey, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and for those that of course don't know you, kind of how you came to this place. So I came to this place over the course of a long time coming in the, you know, the space of healing. I grew up a child of an addict. Um, I'm an ACA adult child of an alcoholic or an addict. And I'd always experienced some degree of, you know, codependency and trauma, CPTSD. And ultimately, a few years ago, my one of my best friends and I, we were kidnapped. And it was um, an extraordinarily traumatic experience. We are so lucky to have survived by the, you know, the grace of God. And through that, I really was kind of forced into healing and looking into how our brains react to trauma and our bodies react to trauma. And that was really never something I was taught um, prior to such an, you know, an insane turn of events. But through that, I started my journey into healing codependency, healing CPTSD, as well as PTSD, and um, forums for women with autoimmune diseases and endometriosis. Those were unrelated to my kidnapping, but <laughs> trauma doesn't really discriminate. And so, yeah, I just had this kind of laundry list of issues, and I started combating them one by one to really shine. Wow, that's so inspiring. And thank you for being so real and honest about that. I mean, so I want to get into all of it, but 
want, you know, however much you're able to comfortably share, I want you to explain more about um, your kidnapping and, you know, um, how that, I mean, how that even happened and then like how you even healed from that because I honestly truly can't even imagine. Yeah, I mean, the kidnapping is definitely more easy for people to <laughs> evaluate trauma and, and comprehend it to an, a degree when it's something as, you know, terrifying as being kidnapped. Um, the story is insane. I, I wish my friend Sarah was here. I was with my friend coming home from dinner, and we had been rear-ended. It was late at night, and we were on a really dark road. And to be honest, I, I had, I had no, I'm a people pleaser by nature. So when we were rear-ended, I got out of the car. I had noticed it was five men and it's kind of the, the usual turnaround. If you've been rear-ended or if you're, you know, hit by someone, you go to assess the damage and to, you know, work it out. So my body kind of got those weird goosebumps, but I was, I ignored them. And upon them all getting out of the car, they, they all had guns. They knocked us unconscious. They, they took us in both of the cars. So my friend's car and theirs. And yeah, it was really harrowing. They were in a gang that trafficked women, not for, for sex, although that does happen. They trafficked women to, to get drugs in and out of the country. And so it, it, the whole experience was harrowing in a sense where we just, I mean, we were captive and being taken like that really puts you into fight, flight, or freeze. I went into freeze, which was my body's response. I didn't really have control of it. My friend went into fight, thank God, because I truly believe she saved us. Um, she screamed, she yelled, she fought back, she hit, she declined every um, demand. <laughs> I was more like reasoning and just frozen, which, which really is a testament to her strength. And yeah, upon being taken, we had a guardian angel who, who had initially heard us screaming in the, the first place they hit us. And so they had tried to follow the cars. They lost us. And the person who was following us didn't have a cell phone. So he drove somewhere to borrow a phone to call the police. So, wow. yeah. So over the next amount of time, police were kind of on the lookout looking for her car and the color of her car. And they ultimately ended up finding us, um, which was a total godsend that we had a guardian angel. Wow. That's so, I mean, so scary because I mean, rear ending and like car accidents happen all the time. Yeah. And, you know, you really aren't taught that women, I mean, at least I wasn't, so I won't say we really aren't. I know right now there's kind of a light being brought to human trafficking and, you know, there's, there's a lot of debates surrounding it, but it's very much real and you're not really given the education surrounding it. I had never learned if you're rear-ended that it could be, you know, a gang that's going to potentially take you. I had never learned that they have certain tactics. They, they followed us from dinner. So it wasn't wow. a turn of events. I, you know, you learn the security footage after the fact, after trial, and we weren't the first person they took. And, you know, these things happen and the news doesn't really publicize them, at least when it happened to me. Wow. I mean, 
So when when you guys went to dinner, it was obviously just and and normal every like night for you just going to dinner with friends. I'm guessing. Oh yeah, it was just us two. It was you know when you're a girl, you kind of know. <laughs> I was my husband and I joke now. I have two levels of myself. One is homeless sweatpants, messy bun, and one is glam. <laughs> so we were, you know, homeless sweatpants. I was in slippers and pajama pants and a messy bun. So we went to eat. I, I had no idea people were watching a seat. I had no idea that people were, when you watch it back, it's actually quite devastating because I realized my lack of self-awareness. And now I'm definitely the opposite. I'm hypervigilant. But you notice when you look back, like these people are pointing at us, they're, you know, they're watching us, we leave three seconds later, they leave, we pull out. But at the time, I just, I really didn't have that level of um, self-awareness and the awareness of my space. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I think, I think some people are a little bit more aware than others, but I don't think you're going to be like that aware to that extent of what you're saying I mean that's like as you just said very hyper vision which obviously now you are because of your experience but I mean I think any average person in my opinion like isn't watching over their shoulder 24 7. Yeah and this you know this was pre-COVID crowded packed restaurant you know the fluff and the noise and people running around now obviously things are a little slower but <laughs> yeah of course right well, I mean, so if you don't mind me asking, when you were in that and, you know, you guys were kidnapped, like, what was going through your mind? Like, what, like, where, like, where, where were you and your friend, like, in this? I mean, like you said, you were frozen, which I can't even imagine. And then your friend was in, you know, fighting mode and, you know, all that. And I mean, it's hard to articulate, but I'm just curious, like, I guess, when you were in that moment, like, how you were feeling or what you were thinking or were you thinking anything and were you aware you were being trafficked like 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 how did that play out in the sense of your your mental state so i i definitely tell this story better with sarah i was not at all aware of the severity but i as time progressed i had this impending doom that i feel i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy and i always describe it to the worst possible turbulence you can ever imagine where your stomach kind of drops and you're like, holy crap, this is it. But my phone had died. Well, my phone is, my phone is always, always dead. So I have the worst phone etiquette and my phone had died right on the way home. And so I'd put it in my friend's side door and I kind of had my feet propped up, like listening to music, you know, we were maybe 20 minutes from her house. And I just remember he, at one point, one of them dragged me out of the car by my hair. Sorry if this is too graphic. And I was just bleeding and he had a gun. And um, I kind of just remember over and over through my head, like my parents are never going to know what happened to me. And that, that fear, it was a doom I can't even describe. And, you know, it's a really hard thing to go through because now in, in trauma work and you know in PTSD work and speaking to women who are fellow survivors, you you want to relate to to others and you also want to be you know understood and there's really no way to describe it other than impending doom to the to the most severe degree, um, and and guilt because 
it was like a slow motion movie where I was watching my friend fight back so severely and I just couldn't do it. Um, the amount of adrenaline or the amount of chemicals sent to my brain just paralyzed me. So where she was fighting back, I just remember feeling guilt where I was like, oh my gosh, she's trying to help us and I'm not doing anything. So even in that moment, my codependency shined through, but I just, I was frozen. And so until he was really, he was putting me into a trunk and I, I started to reason. So I went into reasoning and then, you know, through the trial, you learn the right things to, to do. And my friend, Sarah, did everything correct. You're supposed to yell. You're supposed to fight. You're supposed to scream. You're supposed to run. So, you know, I've learned now advice to give to fellow women and, and to not feel shame for my actions. It was, it was simply like a chemical response. Of course. I mean, again, how would anyone really know that? Like, you know, I, I, understand, what you're, I understand what you're saying and you know, good for your friend, of course, for fighting. And you would think in that moment, most of us would want to fight because you like, you're like, what the hell? But at the same time, like, I can't even imagine. And I completely, you know, would think that freezing up or just not even knowing what to do or being numb, it would also be a response because this is obviously something insanely horrific that, I mean, most don't experience. Yeah, thank God for that. Um, but you know what? A lot of women do experience these harrowing things, and we're really not—we're really not vocalized, or, or it's not normalized how to vocalize it. And so, I do believe that there was a blessing in this, even even now when I look back on the horrendous experience. But I think the blessing is really normalizing conversations about survival and about these horrific things and that women are taken, children are taken, um, women are trafficked and, and children are trafficked. So in, in any sense, it gave me the knowledge now that I am appreciative of. Well, and I mean, I think that, that takes a very strong person to realize that, you know, there, you know, like you just said, it's a blessing. Cause I mean, to be honest, like, I think we all try to find you know, even during this time, obviously right now with the pandemic, we all try to find, you know, the happiness and the silver linings, but it's hard. Um, and for you, you went through something so traumatic for you not only to come out of it and say, I want to find the silver lining, but I want to actually help people and help survivors and help have more conversations around this. You know, fast forward to COVID and everything going on, right? And people are talking more and more now about trafficking and you know there's all these different conversations and we'll leave you know whatever we can out of it but for you personally like hearing these conversations and seeing so much of this brought to light is it like kind of in a way healing to see that these are conversations and these are pictures and these are facts that are being now shown all over and it's no longer something that's I don't want to say taboo but like wasn't something that really was discussed I mean to be honest before I became a mom, I guess I just kind of had my head, you know, in the sand and myself under a rock because I like obviously heard stories and whatever. And I would always try to be careful, you know, as a young woman and pay attention to my surroundings, but I didn't think to that degree. And when I became a mom, I became so hyper aware of everything around me and being mama bear and protective of my girls. And then especially when all this started surfacing and I started doing further research and speaking to so many experts and people that had, you know, worked in it or still working in like Tim Ballard who's my podcast for, you know, or rescue and all these things and started seeing 
how real it was and how close to home it was. I mean, not only did it frighten me, but it shook me to my core and it really made me wake up and be like, holy crap, like there is so much of this and this, so much of this happening. So I'm just curious for you, Lacey, because you actually experienced part of that. Like, what has that been like for you for so much of this to come to light? I think for me, I have an extra blessing, which is years and years of therapy. I've been in therapy for four years and I go twice a week. And I think that I have a blessing of, of a really, really, really hyper sense of self-awareness. Um, there's a sense of, of obviously joy that things are brought to light. There's also a sense of, you know, there's, there's definitely days where I'm quite triggered because people discrediting your trauma is very triggering, even if, even if you're doing all the shame work in the world. And so I think that's, again, why we need to normalize conversations surrounding it. I know that for me, it's not the trauma Olympics. I know now bad things happen. I know people deal with things astronomically worse than what I've dealt with, but equally seeing people discredit that something happens or making it political, it, it is hard, you know? I mean, I could imagine on, on any sense of the spectrum of, of what anyone is dealing with, but I'm, I'm immensely grateful for the conversation surrounding it because there are so many victims that don't have the resources that I was given that were available to me. So, I mean, I have health insurance where I can go to therapy. I had a trial. I mean, the trial was horrific, but I had a year to testify and to speak my truth. A lot of victims don't get to testify. A lot of victims don't get to speak out against their accuser. A lot of victims aren't found. So, you know, certain statistics do trigger me still. I wish they didn't, but it's all, it's like anything. It's like an ebb and flow. If you're a victim of domestic violence, if you're a victim of rape, if you're a victim of, um, of racism, of police brutality, if you're a victim of an abusive parent, anything coming to light on your, on your behalf is, is this feeling of vindication, but equally when people discredit your reality and your trauma, it's, it's really complex because it's painful. And you, you have to really look within yourself to validate yourself and it takes a lot of work. And it's not, you know, some days it's not possible. But I always say healing isn't linear. You know, no day is gonna be the same for anyone, myself included. Right, no, I mean, I think that's really, it's brutally honest, you know? I mean, obviously I have no idea in that respect how to uh, address that or even speak to that. And so I guess, you know, you sharing that just says like, yes, it's it's um, it's eye-opening for you. And it's, it's, it's nice in a sense that you're seeing people get, like you said, the, um, the courage to be able to speak out or be able to share it but at the same time. It's also, can be dark for you not only just because of the triggers but also the fact that like you said parts of it have become political parts of it are not people don't believe it all these different things and i can imagine that that could be very hard on you being someone who actually was in that situation and knows how real that is and so to that note we see like you have spent so much time now in your work of working on yourself with therapy and everything to now helping others so what are you really like, you know, when you're having these conversations and you're going out and helping other survivors and people of trauma, like, 
what is it that you're really, you know, wanting to do and put out there, you know, share with us more of that, of that work, because you've told us your, you know, your horrible story. And I'm so, so sorry it happened to you. And I'm so glad you're okay. And thank you for, you know, doing what you're doing with moving forward and working through so much of that and being that light and helping so many others. So what does that work look like for you? Um, so trauma work is trauma work is complex because it's so, it's so private to the person receiving it. Um, so this is going to sound awful and you might want to edit it out. I don't know, but my kidnapping was this make or break life or death moment. And it was, it was awful. But like I said, I was already in trauma and healing healing wasn't linear because my body started to give out. Um, like I mentioned, I was diagnosed after the fact with endometriosis and autoimmune disease. And, you know, I cut my breast implants out. I just kept getting sick and I lost my fertility and I was in IVF clinics and, you know, I really went into victim and how could I not? So I give myself a lot of grace for that, but I just would cry and I would see people sharing their truths on social media or on YouTube. And I would get really angry because it felt unfair. It felt like here I am and I have all these things going amiss and this person gets to be vocal and be raw and it doesn't feel right to me. And I felt really angry for a really long time. And so I had to really shift my perspective and be accountable. And I've, I said this yesterday on, a, on an Instagram live regarding inner child work, but telling a victim to be accountable is, is really, really painful because you never want to shame a victim. And I certainly never want to shame a victim, but there's a level of radical accountability that must be had in order to heal. There's a level of forgiveness. Like I had to forgive a group of men that tried to ultimately rape and kill me. And I, and it's hard because we hold in our pain to keep ourselves safe. Our ego tells, tells us these things to keep ourselves safe. And so it's really a radical amount of inner work of accountability of, you know, am I going to log on and look at things that make me angry and resent people that are growing and resent people that are sharing their experiences or am I going to do the same and am I going to share my experiences and I'm, I'm going to drop shame and dropping shame is having the, you know, the ability to really validate yourself because in healing, you're not always going to get or receive validation and it's really hard truth to kind of accept. So like after our trial, I remember I'd seen like my 10th endo doctor and I was like, this isn't fair. You guys are giving me all these drugs and no one's validating where this happened. And, and she kind of looked at me. She's incredible by the way, but she was like, nobody's ever going to validate where this came from. We're going to try and help you, but you have to get over trying to get to the root of the problem. Like you're never going to get it. And so I tell people that I work with, you know, sometimes you're never going to get that, that aha moment and you have to you have to pivot and be able to radically accept that. And so that's kind of the biggest hurdle I've learned with people in trauma. There's a lot of shame and shame tells you that you need to be able to blame someone. And sometimes we don't get to. Right. Well, I think, I mean, I think to all levels of people want to put blame on someone else, right? It's just a more comfortable place to be 
then to look at yourself and say, you know, how do I do better for myself or how do I do this or how do I mean, even myself with my own things, like sitting in my own shit is the most uncomfortable place to be, but it's necessary and it's necessary for my growth in order to continue to evolve as me and also evolve as a mother, you know, and it's like literally not an option for me anymore to shut that off and just say, oh, I'll just keep going on autopilot. It's like, now that I become a mom, I feel like I'm at a whole new level of like having to sit in it and having to grow and having to evolve. And it's not easy. Well, and being a mom is, I always say being a mom is the most complex and difficult journey. And I don't care. I support the most hardworking, badass women. And you can be the CEO and you can be an attorney and you can be whatever you are. But being a mom is like, you are not only responsible for yourself and your stuff every day, but you are responsible for people looking up at you who need guidance. And that is like the ultimate gift, but also the ultimate level of stressful shit. Pardon my French, but it's oh, like, fine. <laughs> you know, and so I always say moms need to validate themselves and they get, need to give themselves more credit and they need to give themselves grace because I'm telling you, I work every single day, almost all day long at inner work and I don't have children and I still am running around like my head is on fire most days. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's definitely the hardest job in the world, in my opinion, but also the most rewarding. And I feel like children really are such a blessing. They really are such little teachers. And I know mine definitely are teaching me a lot of lessons. Um, and it's just so, it's so overwhelming, but yet so beautiful. And I realized like, yeah, I know you and I talked about this off, off the podcast, but like when I went through my postpartum depression, like such a huge part of that was not the same thing, the victim, not allowing myself to sit in my shit and be like, okay, I really lost my identity and I'm really not that glam sorry stylist that I was right in this moment because I'm a brand new mom and I had a traumatic birth and a C-section and the list goes on and da, 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 da. And it was like, I couldn't sit in it. I couldn't hold it. I couldn't consume it. So I would just push it away and it would just bury me deeper and bury me deeper and bury me deeper until I finally, within therapy and cognitive therapy and mindset meditation, all these different things was able to get to a place where I sat in it and I, and I grew from it, but it was really hard. And so I think that just in general, that message that you just shared of like that, you know, radical, like, you know, transparency with yourself and allowing that truth to come through is not easy, but it's absolutely necessary. And I'm curious for you, AC, like, how were you able to do that and come to that place? Because I mean, even you just saying like forgiving that situation, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I don't think I could forgive something like that. Trust me, it was hard. Um, <clears throat> prior to, I just wanted to add, because if not, I have the worst short-term memory. Um, something I am trying to radically normalize, which I am not a mother. I am somebody on an infertility journey but a lot of the women I speak to in trauma groups are mothers and a lot of society doesn't acknowledge that traumatic childbirths, traumatic pregnancies, um, infant loss, infertility, all of these things are so detrimental to women's mental health. The amount of hormones that we release during childbirth, the amount of um, fluctuation of our sense of self and being is so radical and so you speaking about that, regardless of the pain, you're helping others who are in that space and don't know that that's 
completely normal to go through all of these things. So I just think that's so incredible of you and I have to note it or I will forget to note it. So, <laughs> well, thank you. I, I really um, appreciate that. And, you know, I, I mean, I get it with the for, forgetting because between being a mom and having baby brain, I forget everything. Right. <laughs> I was like telling, I'm in, I'm in a group with a lot of the women are like double my age and, um, I have the worst short-term memory. I'm like traumatic brain injury. And they're like, wait till you're my age. I'm like, no, you don't understand. My brain will let me remember. I have to write everything down on line to paper. But getting to the point of forgiveness is just, it really comes from, from validating myself. If I didn't forgive all of the people around me who have, who have impacted my, my soul in a way that, that was painful, I would be a really broken person and, you know, I always say forgiveness is a sign of strength. Forgiveness is you taking back your power. And sometimes it's really crappy and um, it's really hard. And it's really just showing that you're so strong that you can set something down that's causing you pain. And there's like, I don't know, is it a Gandhi quote where it's like holding onto the pain is you're holding the hot, the hot rock. But that's how I felt holding into it because every day I was holding resentment when I didn't forgive them, you know, I would go into a room and I was so hypervigilant in my pain. I never expressed that I was kidnapped. So for three years, um, I was in and out of surgeries. I had a five rhinoplasties. I had a cerebral spinal fluid leak. And um, my friend and I decided that we weren't gonna really be vocal about being taken. We weren't gonna be vocal about trial first and foremost, because we felt really unsafe about it all. And secondly, because it was such an out there, extraordinarily like weird thing where we felt like people wouldn't believe us and they would think we're crazy. And so I remember people, you know, you know how people are, but yeah. behind my back, I would hear the like, Lacey's always having plastic surgery or Lacey's so secretive or, you know, and, and things get back to you. And I was so defensive and I was so angry because I felt like everything said about me was so extraordinarily personal. And when I forgave and when I vocalized, I learned that nothing is really as personal as I was making it. I was just holding on to so much pain. It's like if your cup's already full and you put a little dropper of water into it, it's going to leak over. But I had the power to empty out that cup. So when little droplets of things would come in, it didn't leak over and cause me this duress or this issue. It just was like, oh, you know, that person's a jerk. Okay moving on. But when I was holding on to the anger and the resentment and the, you know, the why, why is this me? Why did this happen? Why? Like it, it didn't benefit me and it didn't benefit anyone around me. Well, I mean, kudos to you for being able to get to that place because I mean, I think the, you know, the analogy you gave is so true. And especially for moms, like we always over, you know, like leave our cups completely empty and then wonder why we have nothing to take from it. But I mean, still at the same time, like it sounds like you really had to do a lot of work to get to that place to be able to feel that way. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I still have my days, you know, I said recently, I have the days where I share something and I get the one, you know, the cruel message, which I'm sure you receive. And I'm just yelling and I'm about to go post my video. How dare they? They don't know what I've been through. And then I remember like humans are flawed and we are all a little bit broken and 
You know, it brings it back to the mom thing. When I see moms shaming moms, it genuinely triggers me. And I'm not a mom. And I always joke, I'm in a Bible study and every single person there is a mom but me. And I'm like, I always send them the mean girls meme where it's like, you don't even go here. But <laughs> I didn't know they were all moms until I joined. And they receive so much mom shaming from, you know, from outside sources. And it, it does trigger me. I mean, I'm only human, but it's like, if we gave each other the, the wherewithal and the grace and the forgiveness, I don't think that people would be as hard on, on each other. I know I sound like a total dork because it's like world peace, but it's the truth. Hey, look, I mean, and I, <laughs> I think it's beautiful. And I think it's more of what people need, to be honest. I feel like you know, everything aside of 2020 and how hard it's been, I really do believe there is such a gift and such a silver lining in this time for people to slow down and not be on autopilot and be able to really work on themselves, work on, you know, their families, their support, you know, their partner, whatever it may be, and do things that they wouldn't maybe necessarily have time to do. I know for me, like in the beginning, it was so hard to let go of like working consistently and just being go, go, go. And then it was like, I was forced and I had no choice. And it was like, okay, you're going to be crazy present to being a mom of two. That's all you're going to do. Like all my work was gone. Everything was gone. And at first it was like, what the hell? And I was so angry and I was so resentful and very similar when you were just saying kind of like letting go. Like I told myself like, okay, I'm not going to fight for jobs anymore. I'm not going to make myself insane. I'm not going to go crazy and flip out. I'm just going to let it roll. And it took time. Like I only just started getting busy again now in the last month, but it's now starting to, you know, come around. I know that's because I chose to eventually let go and take that time to really like do inner work and work on myself. And you spoke about your inner child. And I want to get more into that because I have to be honest, when I was first told about that, like a few years ago, I laughed and I was like, yeah, okay. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> too. My, I saw a therapist uh, maybe a year or two ago and he was like, you need to write a letter to your inner child every week. And I remember like laughing in his face where I was just, I was annoyed at the ask even. Right. You're like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like should have rolled my eyes at the woman who was like sitting with me and doing like my reading and everything. And she was like, no, really? Like I get this from your inner child and I get this. And I was like, what, what, you know? And it was just so like, again, something we really don't talk about. And so it was like very like weird to me. And I felt like totally just like, oh, that's not normal. So like, no, I'm not going to, you know, have that conversation. And I feel it's interesting about 2020 is that none of this is normal and we are all like working through and figuring it out. But at the same time, so much that is really just has always been there has now come to the surface and we're all experiencing it and we're all processing it. Completely. Um, yeah, the inner child stuff was hard for me because sometimes still, sometimes in healing, I do these things and I'm like, am I a gypsy hippie? What is this? And I walk in and I do the eye roll and, you know, I like to, when things work for me, I really like to stay cohesive in them, but I still have those moments of cognitive dissonance where I'm like, no, but the inner child work I think is, is so imperative if anything to healing i would say it's hand in hand with accountability because trauma starts i mean there's a harvard study now that proves trauma is passed down in our dna trauma starts in the wound it's generational or in the womb i apologize um so 
there's proof of this. And I always say, if you're a science person, there's proof of this. If you are an emotionally driven person, there's proof of the emotional toll. But trauma and inner child work go hand in hand. And our sense of security, our sense of self-worth, our sense of boundaries, our sense of reactivity, all happens in those first formative years. So, you know, I always say, if you were a child and you had an absolutely perfect upbringing, but you felt physically like you didn't look like the group. And every time you looked in the mirror, you saw a little girl that didn't look like the other little girls and you felt less than. That affects your inner child. It affects your adulthood. It doesn't matter what anyone says. Any cognitive therapist would say, and I agree with them, it affects your adulthood. If you were a child where finances were a huge issue and you heard your parents arguing about bills and you had to take on that adult worry from a young age and you didn't get to really receive parenting there and you had to go to sleep at night worrying how the bills would be paid. That affects you as an adult and it could be, it could be deeply unconscious or subconscious, but it could be something as simple when you're out to, you know, eat dinner in a group, you always order the thing you don't want because you want to be polite or not take up space or you, you know, they're, they're so vast and it can be you taking on too much work. It can be you taking on no work at all. It can be something where you felt intimidated because you had a learning disability. It could be something you heard your parents fighting. It could be something you weren't, you know, there it's, it's so vast where you really have to dig deep within yourself. But my inner child work, um, derives off codependency. My mom, I always say, I've asked her if I can say it, but she had a, an issue with prescription drugs and she, at most of the point was a single mom and I'm an only child. So early on, I took on the fear of parenting. I just always had to kind of take charge. I, she's also type one diabetic. So her, you know, blood sugar, checking her sugar, making sure she ate, making sure she was you know, coherent when I left to school in the morning. If she wasn't coherent, I would be too afraid to go to school and I would stay home with her. And those little things really became my identity at a really, you know, a young age where my brain was being formed. And so as an adult, I took on those codependency roles in relationships and in friendships. And, you know, can I be in control? Because control feels safe to codependence. And so doing the inner child work, it's not placing blame on her. My mom is just a child that grew up all parents are, um, if they aren't given the tools to properly reparent themselves and ultimately you, they'll still have those wounds. So I always say give parents a lot of grace because if you're asking them to, to teach you certain values or give you certain traits that they weren't given, it's going to be really complex for them. Um, so in my inner child work, I do a lot of writing of just, you know, you deserve to go to school and not worry if your mom was eating. You deserved to go to a slumber party and not worry if her blood sugar would be okay. And I write these little notes and I just give them to myself as an adult. And a lot of women in abusive relationships were, were children of addicts. And so I always tell them when you're in a situation with a man treat yourself like it's five-year-old you and you can give yourself that gift that you weren't given and you can guard that little girl and you are deserving and you are worthy and you are love and you are light and so a lot of us you know we would sell our soul for our children but we wouldn't necessarily give ourselves 
that same level of care. So reparenting is really just giving yourself that same compassion. Right. Well, I mean, so for like a new mom like myself, that's something that I've also been working on is like, okay, how do I correct things that maybe triggered me from my own childhood? How do I do things differently? And I have, and I have two incredible parents. I'm very grateful and blessed that I had a beautiful, you know, a beautiful home to grow up in and was always encouraged and inspired and, you know, really two just wonderful, loving parents and, you know, still married to this day and all those things. And so for me, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any of those kind of experiences. I know others who have had, but I still had, you know, things that I went through just in school and with bullying and teasing and just different things that I just had a very hard time with that I realized as I became an adult, I struggled with as well and I was triggered by. And so a lot of that inner child work for me comes from, you know, those experiences in school around others who didn't accept me or didn't want to treat me right or wanted to make fun of me. Um, and I've, and I, and I've realized that. And so that's something that I've been working on. Yeah, completely. And I always say inner child work isn't necessarily, you know, bad parents or, you know, one isolated things. They're just these little things along the way that shifted us coming back home to ourselves, you know? So even you saying, which I completely agree. And I grew up with so many blessings. I only obviously say my certain shortcomings in order to, to let others feel safe to say theirs. But when people do bully you, when people tell you that you're not enough and you're, you're very young, our brains just aren't developed in a sense to say like, no. And it's, it's nothing to do with our surroundings. It's just simply, simply we're not old enough to really have that frontal lobe function. But it really does take a hold over our sense of self and it really can stay with us. So you even acknowledging that now as an adult is huge and it's huge for you and it's huge for your children because you're not playing victim. You're just saying, you know what, this impacted me in this way and it made me feel a certain way. And that's the first step to letting it go and releasing. Right. Well, and, and thank you for saying that. I mean, again, like I always say sit in my shit because whenever I do have to do any kind of work, I always feel like, okay, here we go again. I thought I got over that hurdle, but now like, oh, there's this to experience, you know, and oh, how do I work through this? And, you know, I think that the more we have these conversations and the more we normalize, like, that this is a part of everyday life. This is a part of growing up, evolving, doing all the things, the more we also will just take responsibility. Like it really struck a chord when you were, you know, talking before um, and just saying in general, how people just want to place blame and, it's not necessarily that you're at fault either, but it's like, there has to be, like you said, some kind of accountability so that you're able to process that and let that go. And I think that's a really good message because I think a lot of us, myself included, you just don't always want to take responsibility. No, yeah. and myself included too. And you know, that's with anything. That's the beauty of our, our brains. I study traumatic brain injuries so severely our brains are literally designed we are wired to fire we are wired because when we were cavemen we had to stay safe and know like you know when a lion's coming and when to bash it in but our ego is designed to keep us safe and cognitive dissonance is very much real and it's designed to keep us safe so even me saying like you know me saying the word accountability to someone in 
complete PTSD. Let me just tell you, they're going to yell F you in my face because it's hurtful when you're, you know, when you're in, when you're in this sludges of pain, you don't want someone to tell you that, but it's the same as cognitive dissonance. The reason people discredit, you know, radical acts of hate and children being trafficked isn't because it's not real. And, you know, I'm on Mars and I'm just making up these insane stories. Uh, it's because to admit them would radically make them feel so unsafe and angry that sometimes people just can't take it on. And so, you know, to discredit me or to say you're in, uh, what is it? Q, you're in Q anon anonymous or you're, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you're a Republican. Um, that's easier for a lot of people. And it's the same with anything. It's the same with healing. There's definitely times where someone, I speak to a lot of, a lot of people in the healing space now, and someone will tell me something and hit a chord. And I literally want to be like, F you. And I'm not really an angry person, but it's hard to, it's hard to look within yourself, especially when you're in pain. So I'm never, you know, I'm never dim diminishing that in people because it's very much, it's very much real and it's how we're designed and we're designed that way to keep ourselves safe at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I think again, talking about 2020, like it's kind of been like this 2020 vision, like we're the mask, no pun intended, is like being, you know, is being, is being, you know, kind of like lifted, you know, if you will, in a way. And we're seeing things in a whole new light. And I, you know, I had this conversation with someone the other day, but I said to me, like, it just really feels like this spiritual war. Like people are really having a hard time, you know, handling themselves, having a hard time allowing themselves to see things that maybe they don't want to see. Um, others are, you know, evolving to like a whole new level and just want to share and, you know, normalize all this so that we can process and move forward. It's a, it's a very, very sensitive time for everyone. And, you know, um, and that's why I say like trauma feels very personal when you haven't, when you haven't worked on it necessarily. And it's not, again, never victim shaming, but things feel extraordinarily personal when they are living in you. And that is why I always say triggers are the unhealed parts in you. So my greatest example, I wish he was here, is my husband. Um, he's an immigrant. He came here from Russia at, I believe, age 12. English is his second language. He is a recovering, recovered addict, and he spent time in prison. He was homeless. And ultimately, last year, he was in Forbes. So I always tell people my husband was homeless and literally went to Forbes. And I, it's no, it's no spontaneous act. It's, he did this radical amount of healing where he truly, and I'm not just saying this because he's my husband, because I, you know, I'll call people out when they're, they're not doing the right things. His healing was so extraordinary where he doesn't take things personally, which we all should be doing. And it, it's very easy to not when you're not healed. So for instance, when someone posts and I'm still not 100% healed. When someone posts like our rescue is a big crock of shit and I'm having a triggered night, I'll shake because I'm like, how dare they? I was literally kidnapped. I literally had a gun in my mouth. How could they say that? These people, and I wanna write the angry message. And then I have to remember, it's not personal. Them saying that has nothing to do with me. 
and I have to literally set it down. And that is the something beautiful that my husband is teaching me because someone will post something on prison or police or addiction and he doesn't shake anymore because he does so much radical work internally. And that's why I think his story is beautiful and has value. And it, and it really does teach me that I must do the same. And it's not to say we can't be products of these things that have happened to us to connect. It's just saying that every drop you put in, making it personal, when we're all doing the same thing, leads us to a place where there's no communication. Right. If that makes sense. I kind yeah. of said it in a run around way. No, I mean, well, you said it the way it makes sense to you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that for, especially for what you've been through and everything that you share, I mean, that, that it makes a lot of sense, you know, and I think it's true. It's like, at the end of the day, communication obviously is like really the foundation of everything. And I don't think sometimes we realize how much like we just don't necessarily communicate. Like you just said, like when you like read something like that, like it triggers you and you know, you, you, you want to communicate in a nice way to be like, well, let me actually explain my story to you. But of course, because you're triggered, you want to turn to anger and other things, which is completely oh, yeah, I go to like, <laughs> And I, and I, sometimes I'm an energy vampire because someone will post something about, about, you know, prison or something. And I'm like, Phil, Phil is my husband. I'm like, aren't you mad? Like, tell them you are in prison, tell them. And he's like, no, because their opinion has nothing to do with me. And then I have to remind myself, which is so humbling and so annoying. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, right? it's hard. It's hard. And we're all human and we're all just simply trying to get by. We're all doing our best to be our best. And, and it's hard. Every day isn't the same. Right. Well, and for yourself, you know, you talked about earlier and, you know, when we were talking about like the radical, you know, how, how did you phrase it exactly? Um, radical self-awareness. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were speaking about that, like for you, what does that like look like? And what, I guess, I don't want to say tips, but what would you want to share and maybe have others that are listening to have them be aware and to help them? How can they be radically self-aware? So for me and this, my, again, and my, my goal is never to hurt or trigger anyone. For me, radical self-awareness is walking into any room now, the days I can, and trust me when I say some days I can't, and some days I fail at this, and I give myself grace. And knowing that I would say 100%, and if not 90% of the women or the men in the room are in their own pain and their own trauma and their own experiences. And when I project my pain and my experiences onto their beliefs, we're hitting a standstill where no one will grow and no one will benefit. And so it's always little things and I journal them. I have my own you know, means of healing, but I journal when things make me feel a certain way so I can validate what, you know, when I get home, I even write, I write notes on my phone. I'm like a reporter, but <laughs> I, little things. So when things trigger me, I really try not to react. And that's extraordinarily hard for me. I'm a type A OCD, codependent, Virgo, all of the things that make me want to be heard and be right. I have to set down and they lie in the things that trigger me, which I know are the unhealed things. So if a woman, for example, I met the nastiest woman a few weeks ago and 
I could tell when I walked in the room that something about me she didn't vibe with. And it wasn't me being hypervigilant or codependent. It was, I could tell because she just scowled at me and, you know, she smiled at everyone else. So upon walking up to her, I had said something like, oh, it's so hot. And she instantly started diminishing how I felt, you know, well, wait till you're my age and you have menopause. You don't even know what hot is. I love when young women complain about the heat and I wanted to look at her and say F you because doctors put me in a chemical menopause a year ago with Lupron because my endo is so bad. I and I've had the hot flashes and I am young and you know, it sucked to go through. So I totally always empathize with women. And instead of looking her in the eye and telling her my story and needing to be heard and needing her validation, I just smiled and I was like, okay. And you know, I'm not going to say it didn't bother me immensely, but when I got home that night, I journaled and I just kind of validated like, Hey, you had to go through this. And sometimes people aren't going to hear you. And sometimes people are going to look at you and, and not count how you might feel. And that's okay. And then the rest of the week, I did my best to every person I came across to really try and validate how they feel in my own weird way. And I, that's the way that works for me. Of course, we're all different. We're so multifaceted, but that's the way that works for me. Yeah, well, of course. And and thank you for sharing that. And like, you know, you said before in the beginning of the show that you had gone through obviously many autoimmune diseases and you had issues, the whole breast implant, as well as, you know, your infertility. I mean, you've had, you've had a lot, Lacey. I mean, you know, um, and so for you, like, you know, I think for other people that are listening, it's like, wow. She's been through so much, but like, listen to how positive she still is being and continuing to really do the work. And like you said, not every day, but like overall try to be going through the autoimmune diseases and going through like endometriosis and all that. Like, I guess my question would be like, how, what did you go through the same process of how you handled those things in your life that same wow. and trust me when I say this is hard work like there are days where I have been told things like that and I have shaken and cried and looked at someone and been like actually I'm going through this you know I just I never feel good after so my my good friend once told me the most easiest advice in the world I guess but she always she said do what will always bring you peace so whenever I'm defensive, I don't leave in peace. I leave angry and I'm mad at myself for yelling at someone and I'm mad for telling them too much. So it's, you know, it's very, it's very much so personal as to what will bring you peace. And if bringing you peace is looking at someone and saying, F you, that's your peace. Right. So true. So what I guess would you want to share when it comes to, you know, with your, autoimmune diseases and, you know, your infertility journey, like I know you are very open and, and raw on, you know, social about sharing and helping others in that way. What would you want to share about your journey in that sense with yourself and your body? Because I, I really appreciate what you do share and like what you post in your posts about like really, you know, knowing your body and trusting in your body and, you know, being your own advocate, because I think that that's something else that's really hard for a lot of people, again, kind of takes away the the, um, like the mist, you know, the mystic, if you will, of looking at a doctor or looking at an expert and saying they must know all and not to say that they're not incredible because they studied and did everything they did. But at the end of the day, you really do know best and you do know your body. 
you know, what has like that journey been like for you? And like, what would you want to share with others? Because I feel like so many go through all kinds of issues, but yet they just kind of, I don't want to sound like, you know, an, an asshole, but they, they don't just kind of blindly trust and just move along. And, you know, oh, for, yeah. I, I used you know? to, <laughs> health is, you must be your own advocate. And I would literally, if tramp stamps were still a thing, I would tramp stamp it on my back. You <laughs> be your own advocate. Because let me tell you why. I am so codependent. I used to go into doctor's offices and I would have to win them over. Like if I felt like the doctor didn't like me, I would leave in tears because that's how I'm wired. And what I've learned throughout this is trauma doesn't keep score. There's no shame in going through a whole bunch of crap. And, you know, I used to feel so embarrassed. I remember when I got endo, I was diagnosed with endo in 2018. Okay. I knew I had endo for six years. I knew I had endo when I was like 25. I had every single symptom. I would go into the, the gynecologist and I would say, and I, we have it on record, you guys, I have endometriosis and they would discredit me. They were like, no, you know, you're young. Your hormones are probably off balance. Take this birth control. Well, no, it's your IUD. We went through this like cat and mouse show for six years. They did not diagnose me until we went to a bougie dinner at Nobu. I collapsed at dinner and ambulance came. My endo was so bad. I had internal bleeding and I had to have emergency surgery. This could have been avoided, but I didn't want to ruffle anyone's feathers, you know, and being your own advocate is a beautiful thing because if you're wrong, you're just wrong. And if you're right, you're on the road to your healing. Um, endometriosis is a weird one. It's literally one in 10 women. It's so common. And it, the average diagnosis time is 10 years. Um, it's closer to 15 years. If you are, a person of color, if you're black, if you're a minority, you're actually less likely to be heard and understood from your doctor. It's really screwed up our medical system. So I'm not discrediting all doctors by any means. It's like anything, we're all human and it's a practice. That's why it's called a medical practice. Um, going in and writing down, like now when I go into the doctor, I write down all of my symptoms. I write down how I'm feeling. Um, I Google the crap out of anything I'm feeling. And you'll have those people that look at you and they're like, oh, you went on WebMD, you're a little doctor. You know what? I am a little doctor because I'm in my body and I know what I'm feeling. And I really validate that in myself. And I think all women should. And one in three women has some kind of autoimmune issue. It's, it's no secret that we're as a society unwell. So for me, it's another conversation that I want to normalize and me, me posting it and me sharing it isn't to ever gain pity. It's never to be a victim or, you know, I'm like, this is number eight thing. It's, it's really to normalize it because I'm not alone in it. Um, like Hashimoto's was one of the things they gave me and they just prescribed me some crazy, um, thyroid medication and sent me on my way, but I wanted to know why. I was like, why do I have Hashimoto's? It, it might sound benign to some, but I wanted to know, like why, why does my body attack itself in this way? And it took me like four doctors until one would even take the time to explain it. And that shouldn't be the case. We should be able to get to the answers 
of why our body is doing certain things. And for me, I truly believe that trauma and having breast implants at the time aided in, in all of my illnesses. I don't believe that's for everyone. I think that some women can go through horrific things or have implants and be completely fine. This was just my journey, but that's part of being your own advocate. And if you, know, if you can advocate for yourself, you can advocate for the others around you. That's so true. And I love that you just really kind of keep driving that message of being your own advocate because that can tie into so much of every single person's, you know, everyday life. And it's so true. And it's, it's so hard to actually, I think sometimes do, but I, especially from becoming pregnant, my first daughter, like I became hyper aware of being my own advocate and like really knowing how I felt and what didn't feel right and what did feel right. And all of those things, because you know, it's just like, I think especially when you're growing life, like you kind of become this like super human in a sense of like, you're just really aware that like your body's changing and you're literally growing life and protective of that life and all of these things. And it was so wild to me to kind of come to that awakening of myself to be like, wow, I'm going to be my own advocate. And I, I mean, I even butt heads with my parents when it came to delaying vaccines and, you know, all these different things. But I realized like, you know what, I'm sorry that that, you know, maybe triggers you. I'm sorry that that may be upsetting for you. But for me, I've done my own research. I, I know where I stand personally. That's my truth. That's not to be your truth. And, you know, that's, and, and, and that's where I'm at, you know, and, and that's me advocating for myself and advocating for my babies. And it wasn't an easy place to get to in general, even, you know, like now just some like just stupid conversations with certain people. I have to really say to them, like, look, that's fine that's your truth. I have my truth. And that's that. Like, we don't have to come to a place where you're wrong and I'm right or vice versa. I just need you to understand that that's my truth. And I'm advocating for what I feel. Completely. And I, I mean, I could not have said it better myself because it's another one of those things where we've kind of been gaslit into, into being so triggered, like vaccines, you know, I, I always say you would do what's right for you and your child and you can do your research and that even alone really, really upsets people. And it doesn't have to be that way, <laughs> you know? Right. It doesn't. Exa exactly. But, it, but you're right. It's true. It's like society has kind of made us think like that if you don't do a certain thing, then you should be shamed, like you said, which is like, hence why, you know, you obviously have been working so hard and sharing that shame and for yourself, shame sparkle, which this is a perfect transition. So you are, have started this podcast, shame sparkle, obviously the name speaks for itself, but I think it's amazing. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you really hope to bring with your show. I am so excited about it. So I started doing kind of isolated trauma work. I speak on panels for victim advocate rights services. It's a, it's a group through our court system. And I just kept noticing that I would come in and speak to people. And a lot of them, first of all, didn't want to hear what I had to say because I walk in and the way I presented myself was shame-free. And trust me when I say I'm not shame-free, I just developed this superhuman way in hiding how bad I felt through exterior things. You know, like I'll put a hundred rhinestones on my head. I've just always been like that though. And so I noticed that wasn't translating to a lot of women in shame. Um, and just how much shame really shapes our being, you know, shame is that little voice in us. I 
it's that little voice in us that just tells us things that aren't true. It tells us these stories that we're making up. It tells us not to shine too bright. It tells us not to share good news with certain people. It tells us, you know, we don't belong. You don't have enough money. You don't have the right thing on. You're ugly. You're this. And shame is a load of BS. It's not true. It's something that was designed to, to keep us down. And so I think combating it in a healthy way is so imperative, especially now. And the podcast was never really a thing. I had written a book over the last year and we delayed the, the production and launch. And I was like, I really have so many incredible women I've met through not only sharing my story, but from, you know, hearing theirs and I want to speak to them and hear the stories and share their stories and, you know, put a spotlight on them. So it's just kind of coming together and hearing how people have combated these extraordinary things and that you're not alone and, and shame isn't, it's, it's doesn't discriminate. It doesn't, it doesn't keep score. Same with trauma. Like I always joke, I have a million things wrong with me. And I used to say I was cursed, but I'm not cursed. I think the universe kept giving me these issues because I was so shameful and I had to choose to drop the shame. And when I dropped the shame, you know, the rest of the things kind of started to subside because I got to help other people. And that made me feel this, this need in this space. And um, it's just extraordinary hearing um, stories of people's healing and, women that have gone through endo. My friend Jay went through endo and she was a complete stranger on Instagram. When I, when I got diagnosed, I posted it. And that was the first health thing I'd ever post. Um, I worked in fashion and my posts used to be shoes and dresses. And I love those things. I love all things sparkly. I was just like, that's me. That's what brings me joy. But I would never share something health related because I just felt like I didn't want to be perceived as a victim, but I was so lost where I was like, screw it. I'm like, I'm feeling a level, a level of, a level of, a level of depression. And she reached out to me and she offered to make me an appointment with a doctor I couldn't get into in LA. And she told me her story and she is incredible. And stories like that are what move my soul and I think more of what the world needs and she ended up having open heart surgery and all of these things and, and I related in a sense where I was like feeling guilty for not even going through the things she had gone through to that extreme but I realized that the guilt was just me you know devaluing myself and just because you don't go through the same thing someone else does we can still relate by coming together and dropping the shame right exactly and like you said even if you right. Exactly. And like you said, even if you can't, it's about what you're, what you're learning from that. It's about, like you said, that shame and we all have that shame in us. And, and I think, you know, you're right. It's, it's not easy to hear that little voice inside your head. It's not easy to process it, but the more you let go of it, the more you become aware and are able to move forward. Um, and I think that's a really good lesson because then you elevate yourself essentially you elevate the way you think you elevate the way you feel and you evolve as you know even further as as a human being and you know as as yourself as spirit as your soul completely i'm gonna have to drag you onto it one day <laughs> oh yes i would love to be on well i mean Lacey, you you know 
you, I truly feel you're such a light when you go to your social media and how much you've gone through truly in your own life journey and how you not only continue to show up and share, but you're real about it. And you share that you don't always have, you know, good days and you share about the shame and what you work through, but how you're also doing the work and how you've gotten to where you are. And I just think that there's so much beauty in that because I think we just need more of that. We need more of these real and raw conversations. Like I know for me, when I went through my postpartum depression, like it was so much shame and it was like, no, you know, I felt like nobody could understand me and nobody was having these conversations. And it was like, once I started sharing it, people that came around me and just droves and it was like, holy crap. Yes. So many people understand, but like, I just didn't feel that way. And I just love like what you share. Yeah. Right. You know, and I just love what you share in your space to like really bring those open conversations and for others to feel that, like you said, that shame to sparkle because, you know, everyone should sparkle and everyone should feel, you know, good. And I always say, you know, confidence is your best accessory. You know, I said that from the styling days of styling, you know, everybody from celebs, about figures to, you know, everyday people, but it really does continue into all of us, right? It's like, if you don't have that confidence within self, you know, you're not going to shine the way you should shine. Well, I love that. I'm going to steal it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, I mean, is there anything else that before I let you go that you'd want to share with us? Is there anything you want us to be aware of from any of your journeys that like, you know, like, hey, pay attention to this when it comes to, you know, your horrific situation with kidnapping? Is there anything you'd want to tell us as far as, you know, that radical self-awareness, like any other gems that you'd want? to leave us with that I, you know, I would really want my listeners to really plug in right now and listen. So first and foremost, with the kidnapping, there are so many organizations. I know we mentioned Tim Ballard and Our Rescue, um, Victim Advocate Rights. If you ever need information on kidnapping statistics, what to do, you can always come to my social media. It's so important to know and thinking these things don't happen, just isn't beneficial when they do. That was the mindset I was in. It's so important to know that it's okay to look crazy and ask people to walk you to your car. It's okay if you feel unsafe and to voice it. It's okay to vocalize things that you feel embarrassed of, and it's okay to ask for help. Um, I'm always here if anyone ever wants to tell their story. I get a lot of stories on kidnapping and women in shame and women who were taken or were molested or were raped and haven't told their husbands or haven't told their families. And it truly does break my heart because there should be no shame in your story. Secondly, I just want to thank you for your platform, Allie. I love everything you share. I love that you share your journey with motherhood and depression. I think you're so inspiring and I'm so blessed to have you come in my life. I just feel like it was I joked kindred spirits, but something you just shine and you radiate love and acceptance. And I love that about you. So I'm really grateful to be here with you. Oh, thank you so much. You got me all tearing up and I'm hormonal mama. Thank you. That's really, really, really sweet. And I told you when I found you on social, I truly felt like there was just an alignment and there was so much. And then when I started actually reading your story, I was like, oh my gosh, you have to come on and share so much of yours because I just, you know, I, I just, I love how truly honest and real and raw you are about it but it's not just about sharing it it's about actually like you said advocating and actually being able to take that shame and turn it into something beautiful so thank you so tell us where of course we can find you and follow you plug yourself love (laughs) 
Um, well, I'm on social. My Instagram is Lacey OC. I know it's dorky. I've had it for like 10 years. Um, L-A-C-Y-O-C. And then I additionally have Shame to Sparkle at Shame to Sparkle. It's the name of the podcast. Um, it's on Apple and Spotify. Tomorrow morning is actually the day that the first one launches. Amazing. Uh, Congrats. Yeah, my husband is our first guest because I think his story is so extraordinary. I'm always telling people, I'm like, you think I'm wild, <laughs> you have to <meet> Phil. <laughs> but I'm so excited about it. And I just hope to help even one person. And, and I just hope everyone knows. And I, I say this at the end of every episode and I try and say it often, but me sharing or you sharing or anyone sharing their truth does not take away the space for you to share yours. If you're listening, please do. Um, you never know who you're helping by simply existing and being real and vulnerable. And the people that judge you or condemn you for doing so are just ones that aren't ready to heal, but one day they will be, and you will have helped them so immensely. So just always want to share that. Oh, I love that message. It's so beautiful. Well, Lacey, thank you again so much for sharing so much of your story and being such a light and guys, cheers till next time. Thanks for joining with everything with Allie Levine. Thanks for listening to Everything with Allie Levine. If you loved this episode, please leave a review, screenshot this episode, tell a friend, tag us on social media, subscribe, tune in weekly for new episodes, and to continuously be uplifted, empowered, and inspired.